Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back, everybody. This is your host, Kimbui Wamani. Have a special guest on, and Brian McFadden, co-founder of Legit Football, and episode 55 of the Independent Intel Podcast. Um, this is a unique episode because me and Brian connected on LinkedIn. Um, he has some content in Legit Football. He's a co-founder. It's a digital media startup football site designed to get fast-paced news content out to the viewers. I kind of really liked it, and I reached out to him and really wanted him on my pod that I've restarted up again since, you know, I've been married and everything. And McFadden, man, he started it at the age of 41 after more than two decades of being an agent and a manager in the retail slash real estate industry and has turned it into a very successful business in the past year. So before we dive into the pod itself, I want to really give Ryan some startup questions to talk about who he is and what his um his brand is really all about. So what led you to start your journey to be a multimedia NFL journalist, considering where you started from? and where you are right now. First of all, Kimberly, thanks for the invite. Uh, appreciate you giving me a chance to come on. I love podcasting. My journey actually started podcasting. So as you said, I was in real estate for about 11 years, started off as a team leader in New York City, had my own team in the Upper East Side of Manhattan, and then went into management. I now live in the San Francisco Bay Area, moved here right before COVID. And when COVID hit, you know, like so many people, I was bored. You know, luckily I didn't lose my job. I was still getting paid, but I was looking for something different. I just had that revelation that so many people had that real estate wasn't my long-term journey. And I'm obsessed with the NFL. I've always been a huge football fan my whole life. And I listened to a lot of NFL podcasts. And so I'm sitting around and like, I could do that. I literally Googled, like, how do you start an NFL podcast? Found like a guide and <laughs> just bought the equipment that it told me to buy. So this would have been like November, 2020. Started to grow it, you know, got a decent following, and then I'm just getting into using Twitter for promotional purposes, and I see Peter King, the great Peter King, retweet an interview he did with a startup newsletter called Legit Football. So I did not create Legit Football. Uh, it was started by my co-founder, Joe, but at the time, you know, I didn't know. This would have been June of 2021, and I immediately reached out to him. I said, hey, you know, first of all, congrats on getting Peter King. That's That's fantastic. I got a podcast, you got a brand new newsletter, let's do a collaboration. So I started plugging Legit Football on my podcast, and he started plugging my podcast, my NFL podcast, on his newsletter. But then I quickly realized that, first of all, I was reading the newsletter every day, just naturally. Like I, every, it got, every morning gets you caught up on the top stories of the day in five minutes. I'm like, this is good stuff. I'm using this for my podcast every day. And then I, it, it didn't take long for me to talk to him and say, hey, I... I'd love to build this with you. I think this is what I'm looking for. I've always been an entrepreneur. Uh, I applied that to real estate previously, but I, I love the NFL, everything about the NFL, from the games themselves to the trades and the free agencies and the drama, just, just put it in my veins, right? So uh, we quickly started meeting weekly in a consulting basis. He's actually over in Connecticut. I flew into New York City July of last year. We met in person in Central Park. We hashed out all the details. We became business partners. Uh, been growing it ever since. And you know, recently I've, I've made the decision to do it full-time. So I've been doing it full-time a little over two months. We've seen e exceptional growth. Uh, so it's, it's, it's been good that it's kind of coincided with my decision to, to approach it full-time. Uh, and I get to meet, you know, cool NFL fans like you. So yeah, what, what's, what's not to like? Man, that's a really dope story because I kind of, as you're telling it, I'm like, man, we're like podcast brothers because around the time you started yours, that's when I started independent until I was really like a college student kind of heading into grad school. And I was kind of had the same mindset you had, which was 
I like sports. I feel every time I talk about it to my friends and my family, they always like my insight. And so I decided to kind of parlay that into my own platform and they kind of see us both grow in different ways. It's dope. Also that Peter King shout out that that's what I'm trying to, I'm trying to aim for that. So that, that's, that's <laughs> really have good. Goals. You gotta, gotta have, have goals, goals, man. And I so like your, your voice. It's a good radio voice. Somebody who's been podcasting for two years. I listen for that kind of stuff. So I, I like the way you sound, dude. Good start. Now I appreciate it. I appreciate it <laughs> yeah. so much. And so it leads me to my second question, which is what has been the most challenging part of initiating and maintaining a startup company in legit football? Because you were once a real estate agent. And as you're telling your story, you kind of like joined on to um, co-founding nonetheless with legit football, adding on your insight and intel. And so how has that been maintaining it really from a consistency basis since it's really your full-time job now? Yeah, it, it, it comes down to, uh, we feel like we proved the concept pretty early. What I mean by prove the concept is we started small. That That Peter King article, that Peter King interview was one of the first editions he did and it got I don't know, maybe 25 subscribers. So those were basically, including me, I was one of the first 25 subscribers and we would get to where 35, 40% were opening it every week, which is, which is great for a newsletter, right? If you do 18, 22%, that's kind of the, the industry average, 20, 20% is considered good. We were in the forties, but then as we grew, we started to see that number go up more, but we're, you naturally ask yourself, is it just cause we found a hundred diehard NFL fans. And as soon as we grow, that number's going to go down, but it ended up being the opposite. Every time we added people, the open rate would go up and we're now over 8,000 subscribers. And our open rate is over 60%, meaning that over 60% of those NFL fans read our daily email every single day that it comes out, which is fantastic. Uh, so now the next challenge is, is continuing to scale, uh, to become, attractive to advertisers, right? So we're already working with advertisers. We are monetized. We've, we've found the right content partners to go in our newsletter, but we're looking big. We're thinking big. We're, we're thinking big, big sports betting companies, for instance. And even though our, our metrics are great, 8,000 doesn't necessarily appeal to the bet MGMs of the world, to the points bets of the world, right? Uh, so it's like striking that balance between like, we know we have an amazing product. We're proving that as we've grown, more people are engaging with our newsletter and we have goals just so you know, Kimberly, to, to, to do all sports. So this is football's first, but we're going to have legit baseball, legit hockey, legit basketball, you name it. We just want to really entrench football first and then use that to, to scale and expand to the other sports. So the biggest challenge now is, is finding the right partners, finding the right methods of growth while at the same time, trying to convince uh, bigger partners with the season right around the corner that, Hey, we're small, but this is, these are dedicated NFL fans. Give us a shot. Let's put something together. It'll pay off for you down the road. So, so that's really where, where my head is at now, really working nonstop to try to, to find the growth that we need uh, and also kind of getting those, those bigger partners so we can actually make some money off this thing. Yeah, and that basically easily answered my last question, startup-wise, which is the inevitable goal for your platform. And that's dope that you kind of look at it as, look, we're legit football right now, but the end game is we want to keep growing the brand to tap into other sports so other major corporations can kind of look at us as not just a startup company, but a startup company with valid following, legit insight, legit intel that you can rely on for, you know, the analytical side of sports. And so that's, that's dope in itself. Um, it's always great to see people start content and kind of parlay that into an, an inevitable end game that reaches a wide variety of audience. So 
Man, yeah, really we want it to be a media me. company. At the end of the day, this is this is not just one piece of content. We want to be a sports media company. Our our actual company name is Legit Content LLC. So this is this is just the start, man. This is the beginning of a what we think is going to be an awesome journey. Yeah, and um, I'm going to continue to be a supporter for you guys. Can't wait to see you guys grow. Great content you have, and hey, it's going to keep going forward. And like this podcast, as we're now going to dive into the football aspect of it all. And, the first topic I want to touch base on is the Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback competition. Um, all QBs play particularly well against a rebuilding Seattle secondary. They flash their skill sets with solid performances. Mitchell Trubisky was QB1. He laid an opening drive touchdown before his last drive of the game kind of resulted into a punt. But he did finish 4-7 completion wise for 63 yards and a touchdown. Mason Rudolph had arguably the wild throw of the game. 26-yard strike to George Pickens for a TD. The Oklahoma State standout, rather, finished 9-15 for 93 yards and a touchdown toss. But last but not least, rookie quarterback Kenny Pickett, the only first-round quarterback prospect to be selected in this past year's draft. He completed all but two of his 15 pass attempts for 95 yards and two touchdowns, including the go-ahead one in the final seconds that sealed the fate for a Pittsburgh victory. So my question to you, Brian, is if all continues to go well for the three quarterback contestants, all of them are competing for the QB one spot. Who do you feel like is the favorite to win the job? Well, I think there's two answers to that question because I think there is who is starting week one, and then I think who is going to be starting when this season ends. And I think there's two different answers to that. First of all, even though Pickett, he started off rough in camp, he's shown a lot of flashes, he led the game-winning drive, they're already having bumped up to the two. So their next preseason game this weekend – Trubisky's still getting the start, but instead of Rudolph coming in second, it's going to be Pickett, and then Rudolph is going to be third. They already know what they have in Mason Rudolph, so Rudolph was never really going to be in competition unless he just completely elevated his game to a level that we haven't seen in the NFL yet. We know what we're getting in Mason Rudolph, and we kind of know what we're getting with Mitch Trubisky, too. They drafted him in the first round, Kenny Pickett. He's the only quarterback to get drafted in the first round. You don't draft a quarterback in the first round, especially the Steelers, who haven't done that since Ben Roethlisberger you know, nearly 20 years ago, unless you plan on starting him. So I don't think he's going to be ready. And I don't think Tomlin is going to want to throw him out on week one. I think we're going to see Mitch Trubisky start unless there's something drastic like an injury or unless Pickett just becomes plays so incredibly that they can't have no choice but to put him in. But I'm thinking it's definitely going to be Trubisky. I am looking at like, we actually on my podcast, we, I, I asked this question to my guest, try to target which week Kenny Pickett is going to make his first start. And we kind of landed on around week six or so. You have a stretch early on, actually, where the Steelers have a fairly, I wouldn't call it easy, but easier schedule. They have they play the Jets as one of their teams. I believe they play the Seahawks. Uh, and then they play the Bills. And then they play the Bucks. And after those two games, even if Trubisky's got off to a hot start, I'm ex- you know, expecting they're going to – he's, he's not – he's going to – struggle against the Bucks defense and especially that Bills defense. So then the week after that, I believe it was week six or week seven against Miami. That's kind of where I'm targeting. Okay, that's where you want to give Pickett his shot. So two answers to that question, Kim Bowie. I think Trubisky will start the season, but we don't get through this whole season without Pickett starting at some point. Yeah, I think inevitably Pickett is going to play this year. I don't think he's going to sit on the bench, I don't see this being a Trey Lance, Jimmy Garoppolo situation like the Niners had last year. But right. I do feel like the way this competition is going, it's very akin to New England's quarterback competition last year when it was Cam Newton versus Mac Jones. Um, they kept Cam Newton around another year. Now, granted, Newton had the COVID-19 
vaccine situation that kind of eliminated him from the competition, which allowed Matt Jones to basically take the job. But Matt kind of had a similar preseason as Pickett, where when the preseason was over, you're looking back and you're like, man, he was he held his own. And when you have when you invest so much draft compensation in a franchise quarterback, especially in the first round, all you're basically asking him to do in the preseason is show us why we took you. And if you're able to continue to play consistent and hold your own against professional talent each and every game, then we're going to give you the job. He did very well against twos and threes against Seattle. Yes, we know it's Seattle. They're rebuilding in the secondary. But next week, like you just said, he's QB2 now. If he's able to showcase that consistent level of performance against twos, now we have a type of competition where I think week one he could potentially start. So I'm going to take the bold take here. I think Pickett starts week one. Oh, wow. um, I was okay. a little concerned because I read the same clip as you did in training camp. He struggled. And so I was kind of like, that's not a good sign, especially since he's like the third, fourth quarterback in the depth chart and he's struggling against his own teammate threes. I don't like where this is going or heading, but performed pretty well against Seattle. I think that continues from here on out in the preseason. And like I said before, they have a long-term economical standing with Pickett that they just don't have with Trubisky. I know a lot of people would like Trubisky to be that field goal story and turn his career around in Pittsburgh. I don't really see it that way. Mm-mm. Pickett continues to play how he's playing. Your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I mean, like, we may have seen more of Rudolph, but we've also seen a lot of Trubisky. You kind of know what you're getting. I don't expect a full turnaround. Uh, I thought that uh, the Bears reached when they drafted him where they did at number two overall uh, a few years ago. So I think the plan was all, and you're paying him backup money. You're not paying him starter money. I think the plan is Pickett. It's more of Tomlin is Tomlin knows he has a solid roster. Otherwise, offensive line maybe is not all that great, uh, but they've got incredible weapons, especially with Pickens' surges. That's going to be just a plethora of riches for whoever's playing quarterback. You got Najee Harris in the backfield, and you have what could be a top five defense again. Not to mention, you know, defensive player of the year candidate T.J. Watt. So you've got these pieces out there. So it comes down to Tomlin, who has never had a losing record in his entire time as coach of the, of the Pittsburgh Steelers. If you throw out a rookie, even if he's, you know, fairly ready, you're going to lose more than if you throw out a veteran in all likelihood, unless this guy's like a transcendental, like number, just blown away Andrew Luck type of, but even Luck had a losing record his first season. So you're not going to throw him out there unless you know your season is like, okay, I'm kind of throwing in the towel. I just want him to get reps. I just want this young rookie to get as much practice and repetitions against actual NFL starters as he can. But if but but if Tomlin thinks he could compete in the AFC North and they made it to the playoffs last year somehow, right? So that their roster is good enough with an aging uh, Big Ben who's you know years past his prime. They still made the playoffs. Maybe he thinks let, let me keep Trubisky in there. Let me at least give Trubisky a start. If he can carry this team far enough, we can get in. Now it's it's the AFC is insane. So that's a whole different conversation with how many talented teams, especially after this offseason. But Tomlin, I don't think, has that mindset. He has the mindset where we're not rebuilding. Why the Steelers don't rebuild? We've never had to rebuild. We've been competing for twenty years, you know, year in and year out. So that's my big concern. Not concern, but that's why I don't think Pickett will start week one, because I don't think Tomlin is gonna throw in the towel that early. I don't think he's gonna want to do that. I think he's gonna want to have a veteran, even it's even if it's Mitch Trubisky, and even if he understands that Pickett is going to be the starter at some point, maybe he feels Trubisky will get him a few extra wins in those early games. Maybe that'll give Pickett a chance to watch actual game action from the sidelines before you just throw him in week one. Uh, I believe they play Cincinnati week one. So, I mean, you play a team that, that went into the Super Bowl last year. Do you really want to put your rookie against that right off the bat? 
Um, you know, Trey Hendrickson, one of the top pass rushers coming at you. So that that's kind of like the fine line. Could Pickett start week one? Absolutely. I think it's not that bold for you to put that out there. But I'm going to stand on the other side as a personal prediction and say I do. he will start. I don't think it'll be week one. Yeah, valid points indeed. And I think the psyche of Tomlin is a competitor and he's a winner. Um, yeah. Hasn't had a losing season ever in his mm-hmm. NFL coaching career. And I think which kind of supports my argument is last season they had a declining Big Ben. They stuck with him, obviously got a loyalty considering what he's done with the franchise, and they made the playoffs. This is with an offensive line that's not particularly good. Najee Harris played particularly well considering he was running behind. Not a very good run blocking offensive line. And the weapons then aren't what they are now. They've improved in the weaponry. They've made slight improvements in the offensive line. I still think the O-line's a weakness within that team. And Najee Harris has added more weight, and he's going to be even more of a factor out of the backfield as a receiver. So they have enough talent to where, you're right, Trubisky can slide in, and then we blink twice and season's over, but they've won nine to ten games. Um, But they also have Pickett in the arsenal, and they also have something going for them in the context of um, Cleveland's not going to have Deshaun Watson for 11 games. And they feel that they match up very well with Baltimore. They always have their rivals. And Cincinnati was a great flash in the pan. But And they did sweep them last season, but they probably feel a better quarterback play now. It opens up our offense. Our defense has enough time in the offseason to know what Cincinnati brings to the table to adjust. I think they're confident enough to where, whether it's Trubisky or Pickett, they feel like they can go out and compete with the best of them in the AFC. But they're all, they are in a very tough division. So it's going to be a grind all year for them. Can't wait to see what happens. Yeah, hey, I'm ready for any NFL. You know, get, get, give it to me. I'm ready for week one. <laughs> Next topic on hand, the long-term side effects of losing Zach Wilson for the New York Jets. So Zach Wilson suffered a torn meniscus and a bone bruise rather in the Jets' first preseason game against the Philadelphia Eagles. Initially, everyone on Twitter was in an uproar because we all thought the worst. We all thought um, the young second-year quarterback suffered an ACL injury. He did not. So he will be out. He will, he'll need two to four weeks to repair from an arthroscopic knee surgery after suffering a bone bruise and a torn meniscus on his right knee. Before he got injured, he didn't play particularly well in that game. Registered a sub-40 passing grade on six dropbacks versus the Eagles. And he's already fresh off a down rookie season where he had more turnover-worthy plays, 18, than big-time throws, 10, on a 54.7 passing passing grade. So my concern, Brian, is meniscus tears vary when it comes to being fully recovered for an athlete to go out and play again. Sometimes it could take six weeks. Other times it could be three months depending on the severity. And Zach is a very mobile guy. He uses his legs vitally in the passing game to kind of execute those passing windows. We're really right. widening them so he can throw them within there. If he's not healthy enough to go this year and the Jets capsize because of it, because, yeah, they're rolling out Joe Flacco, who's not what he used to be, do they consider getting a new QB1 in a loaded quarterback class next draft? Uh, I think they do consider that, but it's not necessarily for the reasons you think. Here is my worry, and I brought this up on my podcast. I had uh, a regular guest of mine who was also a Chets fan, so I threw this at him. We did a wager. Uh, I said, because he did a wager with me, so I returned the favor, and I said, if Joe Flacco starts five or more games, and he's a Jets fan, you have to wear a Tom Brady jersey, and he's a TikTok guy. You have to wear a Tom Brady uh, Patriots jersey on your TikTok, and he's he hated it, but he took the, the wager. And the reason I said that is let's say he does come back. 
within that two to four week time frame, they've already kind of said Flacco's going to start week one. But what if Flacco looks good? And I'm not saying Flacco's a game changer. I don't think he's the quarterback of the future. But there have already been reports out of training camp. Garrett Wilson was quoted as saying, Flacco throws a really nice, like basically saying, I like Joe Flacco throwing to me more than, than I like Zach Wilson. Wilson uh, struggled as a rookie. Uh, already has injury issues last season and now going into this season, his decision-making is questionable. The whole reason he got injured is because he wouldn't go out of bounds and he tried to do some weird juke move in a freaking preseason game. Uh, And then top all of that off with the fact that Flacco's already getting reports that the offense is running better. They're scoring touchdowns. Elijah Moore just caught a long, like a 60-yard touchdown I was reading earlier today from from Flacco. So my concern is Flacco's going to play well enough that he's already going to, this offense is going to look better. And they know Flacco's not the future, but that, what that will do to a guy like Robert Sala is he'll say, well, if Joe Flacco, who is closer to retirement than the prime of his career, can make this offense look better than our number two overall pick from last year, maybe that guy's not the future of the Jets. So I think you're on to something here for multiple reasons. This only hurts Wilson that he had, had this injury, that he's not going to get to show, you know, build up more reps in the preseason that he's going to miss at least one game in the regular season that Flacco could come in and at least make this offense look better than what it has been because the, the, the Jets had a fantastic draft this year. The Jets have talent. I think the Jets defense is going to be much better. They had a big signing in Carl Lawson last year who got injured in the preseason before he could even showcase. And the words out of camp last year were that he was tearing it up and that this pass rush, which is so crucial to the kind of defense that Sala ran in San Francisco, you need that devastating front four. So if Lawson comes up uh, and you know they're able to at least get to more of like a league average defense, you've got lots of weapons. Elijah Moore is one of my picks for breakout uh, in a year or two, Garrett Wilson, I think is, is going to be great. Um, and then you've got Brees Hall and Michael Carter, who was a very solid running back and, and, and did last year strong. So you have pieces, you know, we can talk about the, the Mackay Becton injury, um, but they just signed Dwayne Brown. You know, they, they're not, they had a Vera Tucker signed last. I mean, they've got some talent. And if Flacco comes in and runs this offense better than Wilson has, there are going to be a lot of questions from GM Joe Douglas and from head coach Robert Sala on maybe this guy's not it, and the class coming out next year uh, is, is looking pretty juicy, at least at this stage. Yeah, if they if they fall into that top 10, I think you're absolutely looking at the Jets looking at another quarterback. Yeah, because we all remember the infamous Mike White game against the Bengals. He looked yep. phenomenal. He did. I he picked him up get... in my dynasty. I'm like, oh, he looks great. Let me get a few games out of him. Yeah. All right, and if he didn't get hurt against the Colts, who I think they played on like Thursday night, who knows? Yeah. Like That could have been a... a a unique storyline of its own. And then we're looking at Zach Wilson potentially in his sophomore campaign in a potential quarterback battle. Your top two pick in a potential quarterback battle, crazy as it seems. You make a valid point, but I think what might save Wilson a little bit, but I don't think it's a lot. That jet schedule is brutal. <laughs> like It's not a good schedule at all. Like yeah. I'm agreeing with you, Brian. They're one of the, like, they're probably the most talented rebuilding team in the NFL. They've got the front line. They have a nice up-and-coming secondary with Sauce Gardner. Yep. Um, Bryce Hall, I thought, showed flashes in his rookie season. They got DJ Reader, I think that's his name, at cornerback from Seattle. From DJ Seattle, Reader, yep. From DJ Seattle. Reed. I liked yep. him in Seattle. Yep. Arguably, I thought he was the best corner for a struggling Seattle secondary the past few years. The talent is there. The schedule is just horrific. Um, they're playing yep. the AFC North. Um, they're playing the big dogs. And I think right. Flacco Got to play the Bills age, twice a season. The Bills got- twice. At least, you know, Bill Belichick twice. You can say what you want about I'm not high in the Patriots, but it's still Belichick. And 
I think the Dolphins are going to be feisty this year. So yeah, there's, there's that. I actually think that's a knock against Wilson. Even if he plays fairly well, it's going to be hard to come across wins. And if you're yes. sitting at four and thirteen again, so even if you're still there's a there's a part of you that is enticed by Wilson. You might be more enticed by some of these quarterbacks that are coming out, and you're already in position to get one of those. Man, everything starts at the quarterback position. It's going to be hard to to pass up one of those guys next year. It will be. It will be indeed. And with Wilson, I was just never a huge fan when he came out of BYU. I thought the yeah. stock rise that he had was really akin to the supreme season he had during the COVID year where BYU didn't play a ton of strong competition. Um, when he finally met some resistance against Coastal Carolina, he didn't look particularly well. And my concerns in college materialized in the pros. He's a very mobile guy with a strong arm, doesn't read defenses particularly well, has some happy feet in the pocket, which is surprising to see from a mobile guy. And he has a tendency to throw picks. And so right. when I when he came out of BYU, I saw Jeff Garcia. And Jeff Garcia had a pretty long career. Mm-hmm. But Jeff Garcia is not a franchise quarterback. Right. And now it looks even worse because the Jets have a team. And they're literally a quarterback away. And if Wilson just doesn't have enough reps this year because of the injury and Flacco comes in and is decent, it allows the Jets during the offseason to be like, look, C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, um, Grayson McCall, they're they're there. And they have an upside that Wilson just doesn't have. I think that makes Gang Green go all in and take a QB one in the future in this draft. And that sucks for Wilson because he would literally would have had a year to showcase what he can do. And that's just not enough time. And his situation is a lot different from a Justin Fields where you can see with Fields in Chicago, he just doesn't have the offensive line or the receivers. So no. he's going to have an extra two years because of that. Everything is handmade on a platter for Zach. Yep. And it sucks that he can't be out there to show what he can do. But what we did see in the preseason wasn't a very impressive sign. What did you think of his preseason performance against Philly before he got hurt? I mean, there's nothing good to take from it. Yeah, he threw the interception. He looked sloppy. Like I said, his decision-making the thing that worries me the most. Because you can take some chances in the preseason. You can make some ill-advised throws. But the whole not going out of bounds in a game that means absolutely nothing, that doesn't serve anything. That shows me that your judgment as the leader of this football team, as the leader of this offense, has to come into question. And I cannot have my number two overall picks judgment come into question. I cannot have my franchise riding on his shoulders if he's going to make bad decisions like that in year two, right? It's one thing if it's his first action as a rookie, but no, he started almost short of injury. He started almost all the games last season. He has had NFL game action. He's still making decisions like this. It, it very discouraging if I'm on the Jets side. Very discouraging indeed. But if you're a Jets fan, the pain will come now. But the glory will come later because this quarterback class coming in next season is, is, is legendary. So yeah. hope it works out for the Gang Green fan base. Up next on the topic list at hand, which quarterback-friendly offense takes the biggest leap with their third-year starter? Jalen Hurts of the Philadelphia Eagles or Tua Tungavaloa of the Miami Dolphins? Um, Brian, I'm going to start off with my take, and I want to hear yours. Sure. I actually have more faith in the Dolphins because I just think Tua – is a better throw of the football in my eyes than Hurts. He had the best rapport with Jalen Waddle last year, who achieved a 78.5 receiving grade. That was the best by Dolphins wide receiver in 2021. And after that season, I know a lot of guys were getting on too. I was just like, yo, if he had two more Jalen Waddles, I think he would be a lot better 
as a pro quarterback. And he got another Jalen Waddle on steroids and Tyreek. And better protection. So, they had one of the worst offensive lines in the entire NFL last season. Exactly. The offensive yeah. line wasn't there. You get Toronto Armstead in free agency. You get Tyreek Hill in, in a trade, basically, during the offseason. And so now, all I've been hearing out of Dolphins camp is two is taking shots down the field. Mm-hmm. He's being very um, impressive overall as a throw of the football, very aggressive, very decisive in that Mike McDaniel offense. And I just feel like two is going to have a career year. He's going to have kind of that Jared Goff year Jared Goff had when McVay came. The offense looked a lot different. You had an offensive-centric young coach that wanted to put his franchise quarterback in the right positions, and then you blink twice, he has a career year, and he's on his way to the Pro Bowl. So that's what I feel is down the pipeline for Tua in comparison to Hurts. What are your thoughts on that? So I actually think both are going to have good years, but as far as the contrast, it's Tua because the expectations for Tua are lower. There's a lot of people, and just so you know, I'm actually a Dolphins fan. I'm a lifelong Dolphins fan, but as you know, I cover the entire league, so I can be objective about these things. Uh, But I really liked Tua coming out of Alabama. Like, I was all in. I... To me, it was a no-brainer choosing him over Herbert. Most analysts chose Tua over Herbert, so it's not a big surprise. I don't think many of us saw, you know, we, we didn't get to see Herbert's true capability with the offense that he ran in Oregon. Uh, but I believe in his capabilities, and I believe that he's the kind of quarterback that is like a Drew Brees, like a like a point guard, like a distributor. If he has the right playmakers, he's insanely accurate. Not just accuracy is not just throwing the ball from point A to point B where it's supposed to be. It is putting the ball in a place where a receiver can catch it and then continue to run, give them yards after catch uh, capabilities. That is where Tua shined in Alabama. And yes, he had four number one wide receivers, but we saw what he could do. And guess what? Now he's got Tyreek Hill. Uh, he already has Jalen Waddle, who's hit the rookie record for receptions. Cedric Wilson is a fantastic pickup in the slot. You have Mike Gesicki, who I think talent-wise is a top five tight end. Um, And then you have an offensive-minded coach coming in with a very quarterback-friendly offense. That Shanahan offense that Mike McDaniel's bringing over made Jimmy Garoppolo a Super Bowl quarterback. He didn't win, but it's it's set up to – it's very – Run heavy. It's very play action friendly. It has a lot of rollouts, which is actually where Tua excels, getting on a, a, a pre-designed rollout where he can get away from the pass rush and see the play in front of him and just get the ball, like we said, to his playmakers. But also because it's run heavy, because that zone run scheme really opens up the pass game and you've got a guy like Tyreek Hill who can just take the, the top off if Tua is willing to take those shots. And it sounds like so far in camp he is. That's going to be a very exciting offense to watch. On the other side of it, I think the Eagles have just too much talent around them not to have a good season. I also think as as many additions as they made, the Cowboys kind of did the opposite. The the Eagles stocked up their roster on both sides of the ball. Obviously, A.J. Brown is the big signing, but I like bringing in James Bradbury next to Darius Slay, right? Drafting guys uh, like Jordan Davis in the middle of an already strong defensive line. That's just, you know, the rich get richer, essentially. Uh, N'Kobe Dean, getting him where they got as, as linebacker, as long as he's healthy, uh, what a steal there. So I just really like what the Eagles have done, and I don't like what the Cowboys done. So whether Hurts has his ups and downs, he's got so many weapons. You can't double Devontae Smith now. Uh, you've got A.J. Brown, Dallas Goddard, I think is kind of in the Gasicki range as far as talent goes. Uh, Miles Sanders has had some injury issues. We're saying he's, he's injured again. He's got a hamstring issue. Uh, but I like Kenneth Gainwell, Boston Scott. That's well enough. And they have a top five offensive line. My biggest question with the Eagles is actually I'm not a Sirianni fan. I didn't like how he approached certain game plans. Once he finally committed to being a run-first offense, that's when they started winning. But then they went right back to pass heavy in, in that playoff game against the Bucks and looked absolutely terrible. His plan seemed to be, 
uh, okay, we'll just kind of throw some stuff together. And if it doesn't work, just let Jalen run around and, and, and make a play when we're down 20-something. Great for fantasy. I have heard some one of my dynasty leagues. It was fantastic. But I just didn't like and, – and, hey, coaches can develop just like players. Uh, we'll see what kind of offense Sirianni is able to do with that much talent this year. So bottom line, I think both quarterbacks will have good seasons. But Hurts already had – you know, he made it to the playoffs last year, right? It wasn't – it wasn't a great showing, but he made it to the playoffs. He had some moments, whereas so many people outside of Miami have written Tua off that simply having a a, a, a good, solid year, the contrast is going to be there. So we're talking about biggest jump. I'm going to agree with you and say it's going to be Tua Tungabailoa. Yeah, I mean, Tua is literally on the clock. Um, they both technically are. I mean, we've heard rumblings out of Philly. If Hurts doesn't pan out, they'll move on. But it wouldn't be the end of the world because when they got Hurts in the second round of his draft class, it was the expectation that he could potentially be the heir apparent to the struggling Carson Wentz, which he became. Tua came in as a franchise guy. Mm -hmm. And I always felt like with the Dolphins, they never really set him up for success because of two things. One, obviously the offensive line was horrific. But the other issue was he is a quarterback that thrives by mastering the in-breaking aspect of the field, which mm -hmm. opens up the vertical shots down the sidelines. But I don't think he had guys that were very good at running routes to get open and in-breaking passing concepts. Devontae Park is more of a possession receiver that thrives on back shoulder fades. And, I mean, they did have Albert Wilson, but he's not the speedster that Tyreek Tyreke right. is obviously down the field. And he's not a intermediate game changer in the passing game as well to where he can run a five-yard hitch, catch it, and take it to distance. So they added speed on the outside, improved the offensive line in front of them, and they're going to do a big part of initiating the run game within their offense, they're going to take off, and I think Tua does have a career year. With the Philadelphia Eagles and Jalen Hurts, their roster is stacked. I mean, it's a very loaded roster. I would be shocked if they don't compete to win the NFC East, damn near win the NFC East themselves. I just The issue with Hurts is a few things. I think the big one is he tends to bail from the pocket as a way to open up passing lanes for him down the field because mm -hmm. he's not a very good anticipatory throw of the ball. And so his way of anticipating a passing lane is I break contain. The defense follows me because I'm such a threat with my legs. Now open up passing lanes on the backside. He did that a lot against Tampa. The difference was I thought the Buccaneers cornerbacks did a great job of not losing contain with mm -hmm. their with the guy they were guarding in coverage and making plays on the football. But Sirianni, Sirianni, I agree. He he's a mystery. I mean, for the first seven games of the year last year, he didn't look like he belonged coaching in the yes, league. Yes, exactly. Then, oh, yeah. All of a sudden, he went back to the strength of the team, which is running the football. Yeah. Um, I think they want to continue to do that. The issue I have with Philly, besides Hurts, is they don't really have that bell cow guy. Miles Sanders seems like his body just can't withstand being an every down back in this league. He's more right. of a complimentary piece. So if they're able to, as the year goes on, find a lead guy that they can lead on or just run by committee, which the Baltimore Ravens did during Lamar's MVP season, that will suit best for this team. But, um, you know, my my concerns with Hurts still are there. Like, I, has he taken the next step as a passer? I don't know. Now, the good thing about Jalen that I'll give him credit for, every year since his freshman year at Alabama, he's improved as a passer. Yes. I mean. And reports out of camp are that he's he's doing it. Like, uh, you know, I, at Legit Football, a lot of what we do, because we're year-round, is follow training camps. That's what our readers like hearing about this time of year. And there's just been a lot of news about Hurts looks much better as a passer. He has down days but he's had a lot more up days than down. And when you have that kind of protection and you have those kind of weapons, uh, you hit on something that, that is exactly what he needs. If he can stay in the pocket and learn to 
process in the pocket, he'll have the time because of how good that offensive line is. If he can do that and get the ball to his playmakers with the rest of the talent, even if you don't have a stud running back, there's enough talent in the backfield with the right scheme that I think I've got the Eagles winning the East. Personally, I, I think the Cowboys will make the playoffs as a wild card team, but I've got the Eagles uh, winning the East. So I, I'm I'm not saying he's going to be the, the long-term answer, but I think he plays well enough this year to stay in Philly next year. Yeah, I mean, Hurts just needs to, like you say, just be a point guard. You know, trust the offensive line. You have a top five line in the NFC, maybe in the league. And bailing from their protection does you no good. I mean, that they're paid to do that successfully. So um, I think his ceiling as a pro may be a poor man's McNabb. And McNabb, I thought, with the Eagles in his prime, did a very good job of went to utilizing a Super Bowl. the weapons. Went to, went to a Super Bowl. Went yeah. to several NFC championships. How you could threw say, up hey, in the Super Bowl, he, but he went to the Super Bowl. <laughs> he, he did. He threw up. Yeah, <laughs> but and, he's there. That's fine. He was there, and you could say, "Well, Andy Reid was the coach. Andy Reid plays a huge part, one of the great offensive minds of all time." But yeah. as he kept getting weapons, his play kept elevating. When he got Deshaun mm-hmm. Jackson, when he got Mack, when he had, um, you know, those guys. So Westbrook even out of the backfield. So I mean, hurts. Right. The weapons have improved for him as he's gotten better as a player. I think that only elevate his play long-term. But I'm a rock with Tua. He's a natural talent. He finally has an offensive scheme suited around his skill set. I think the Dolphins take off and make the playoffs. I really do think they're a playoff team this year. I hope so. That AFC is going to be tough. If, it was, if the Dolphins were in the NFC, I would bet money right now the Dolphins would make it. But there's just so much competition in the AFC. You could talk about 12 or 13 teams that could be fighting for playoff spots, which is insane. You're right, man. I mean, the AFC, it's a gauntlet. A lot different than the NFC where you feel like there's about three teams you take serious and then everybody else can be fighting for some open playoff spots. But it's going to be a dogfight in the AFC, especially in that AFC um, East because, you know, Miami hasn't beaten the Josh Allen-led Bills in a while. New England hasn't beaten the Josh Allen-led Bills in a while. Nobody's beaten the Josh Allen-led Bills in a while in that division. So you got to figure out that amazing man in Buffalo and also have the offense behind that that can match him score for score. So can't wait to see what happens with the Dolphins this season. Um, to wrap up this podcast segment with my man, Brian, we're going to play a little game of who is likely to have some questions that I'm going to pitch to Brian. He gives his answers. I give mine. We kind of see if they align. We kind of see if they don't. Should be an interesting little questionnaire. Let's get started. So first one, who is likely to lose their starting job to their rookie backup this preseason? Mitch Trubisky or Marcus Mariota? In the preseason, uh, I think it's more likely to be Trubisky. Uh, I, obviously, we talked earlier about the Steelers quarterback position. I don't think that'll happen. But I think Mariota's in a position, and Ritter's not far enough along, that they would start Ritter week one. Um, Mariota has ties to our Arthur Smith from his time in Tennessee. So he's got a little more familiar, familiarity with the offense. Uh, he's shown flashes when he played, when he came in with the Raiders. Um so yeah, I, I don't. I think Ritter will start at some point. I think it'll be farther down the season. So if we're talking preseason, if we had to make a bet, I'm choosing Trubisky. How about you? Yeah, I'll choose. I'll choose uh, Trubisky as well. You know, I did like what I saw from Ritter when they played the Lions week one. I thought that was probably the best preseason game of that week. He was, he was feisty. He made some he plays. Was feisty. Yeah. He, was, he was competing. He was. He was competing. Yep. But um, Mariota, I thought in his brief time, looked fantastic, and I think he had an elite. Mariota had like a ninety-four point five PFF grade in the one drive that he did. So it's a small sample size, but yeah, I don't think that he's going to do enough to lose in the preseason to Ritter. Yeah, I don't think so either. And uh, like you said, Mariota's ties with Arthur Smith, and I think the Falcons have a unique perspective coming into the year. 
Um, I think they look at this year as a rebuilding year for them to where they want to be competitive, but ultimately lay the foundation for Ritter to kind of slide in in the future and take the reins. But, yeah, I, I'd have more faith in Pickett, I think, upseating Trubisky and Pittsburgh. By the way, that. real quick, I'm actually higher in Atlanta than a lot of people. I'm not saying they're going to compete for a playoff spot, but I know people who are putting them like 32nd in the power rankings. And oh, I just I could name four or five teams that I like the Falcons set up better. Maybe not from a roster talent perspective, but I like Arthur Smith as a coach. They were very competitive. They won seven games last year. People forget that. Uh, so, you know, you add to the talent, Arthur Smith in year two. I could see them kind of flirting with that eight to nine wins um, and, and being a, a tough out. It's not insane. I mean, look, I'm a Saints fan. Um, we played them last year twice. Those are rivals, and they beat us in the Dome, and we got them back to end the year. Um, they were a seven-win team with arguably a very horrific offensive line, a declining mm-hmm. Matt Ryan, and a defense that literally just had A.J. Terrell. And yes. a, lot of, a lot of that goes, got to give a lot of credit to Arthur Smith, and just got to give a lot of credit to Cordell Patterson. He had a career year, and just the feistiness mm-hmm. of that Atlanta ball club. They've gotten a lot younger as a roster, but the receiving core looks a lot better than it did a year ago. Right. Um, I think they have a more stable uh, running back option in the rookie that they got in BYU. They like him a lot. And Tyler I think Algier, I'm really high like, on him. Right, a lot of guys are high on Tyler Algier. And, you know, their cornerback, their secondary situation, AJ Terrell can only take another step, the next step. You obviously want mm-hmm. somebody opposite of him to kind of coincide with that, but – I do think Atlanta is going to not be the worst team in the league. They're going to be a team that gets six to seven wins, and that's a success yep. for them because they're rebuilding and restocking, and I can't wait to see what they can be in the foreseeable future. Um, yep. Another who is likely to, who is likely to be wide receiver two in Dallas by preseason end? Is it Jalen Tolbert or the field? Ah, uh, That's tough because it's so hard with, with Tolbert being a rookie. I've actually read a lot of good things about Simi Fahoko, I don't even know if that's how you pronounce his name. Uh, Second-year player, uh, they're they're really liking how he's he's kind of coming up, making plays uh, day in and day out of practice. Tober, because of the draft stock, will probably end up being wide receiver too. But I, I think you know Gallup's not going to be ready, uh, so I, there's just going to be so much opportunity. Um, you know, outside of Ceedee Lamb, for a lot of guys, Dalton Schultz, uh, he probably will be the second pass catcher uh, simply because of the talent that he brings. Um, yeah, I'm gonna just take a chance to say the field. Yeah, um, I'm I'm gonna probably say the field as well. I think it's Tolbert's to lose, and he somewhat lost it against Denver. I mean, he was targeted mm-hmm. a lot. He only caught one pass. He dropped another. Obviously, look, yeah. first NFL game, live action. Who knows? In the next two preseason games, he can showcase his worth because I liked him at a lot out of South Alabama. He was South Alabama's best offensive player, and that says a lot because the quarterback situation that year wasn't the greatest. And he's a guy, he's a Dallas type receiver, a guy that can move the chains, a guy that can stretch the field, a guy that can catch the football and get very productive yards after the catch. But you just brought up Simi, what he's been able to do, making that touchdown catch over Trevon Diggs. And mm-hmm. I think when we head into the year, um, I don't know about you, I have faith in CD Lamb. I know a lot of guys, when they let go of Amari Cooper, they're like, the sky is falling. And I'm like, CD has wide receiver one upside. He just oh, yeah. has to. He just has to, he has to stop the drops. I mean that's it. I mean drops right. is the only thing holding them back, and uh, you know the offensive game plan involving him as an option. But we don't have to worry about that anymore. No He's wide receiver one, so CD is going to be the guy, and I think Blake Jarvis is going to be the de facto two. They're going to utilize their tight ends a lot more in the passing game, but I do think over time the field will manifest itself, and I guess you can say the field includes Jarwin. But um, you know Gallup's going to be out for a minute. James Washington's not going to be. 
available yep. probably for the whole month of September. So they're going to need somebody to step up. I like Tolbert out of college. I got faith in Tolbert. But I'm going to say the field because I think everybody's going to play their part alongside C.D. Lamb. Not just um, Tolbert, not just, um, you know, Blake Jarwin, not not even the tight ends. Rather, um, Tony Pollard is going to be a factor in the passing game. He was a factor right. last year in the passing game. Yeah, they're they're lining good. him up in the slot. They're, they're, they're saying they want to get him on the field as much as possible, which is smart because I think he's more talented at this point in his career than Zeke. So if you're going to get make Zeke your bell cow, you better find ways to get Pollard on the field as a receiver. Exactly. And so that's that's what we've been hearing. You know, Zeke's losing weight. So if Zeke's going to be the bell cow rusher, you got to find ways to get Tony on the field. And if he's mm-hmm. out there as a slot receiver, that's a plus injury. Indeed. Um, who is more likely to draft a quarterback next season between the New York Jets and the Houston Texans? Uh, I say the Jets. Uh, I think that Houston is not blowing smoke when they say that they are really high on Davis Mills. If you see how Mills finished last season, and Mills is one a quarterback who he didn't have a lot of starts at Stanford, and he had an injury issue, and these are the things that dropped him. So it's a lack of kind of starting experience, but he has all the physical tools. And this is a guy that, that actually started to showcase them towards the end of last year. And I just, I, I'm high on him. Uh, I think, I mean, Brandon Cooks is perennially under, underrated. I think he's maybe a top 15 wide receiver in the entire NFL. This is a guy who, who's put together already five or six, a thousand yard uh, receiving seasons on like four different teams. So he, no matter where he goes, he's successful. Nico Collins, I think is going to have a really strong year. So you've got these weapons uh, Houston's going to be playing from behind a lot, so you're going to see a lot of Davis Mills having the opportunity to just rack up stats. Uh, and Houston isn't in a rush, right? So uh, I think they're in a position. Uh, I don't think Houston would get rid of their coach after one year twice in a row, so I think we see Lovey Smith back for at least another season. And just for continuity's sake, I just have a feeling they're going to win like seven games and, and be in a position to, to give Davis Mills one more full year. Whereas we already had our conversation about Zach Wilson, I'm just starting to feel that the Jets are going to move on from him. I think they're going to be in a position to get a quarterback in the top 10. Uh, They're going to have these doubts based on how Flacco's playing, based on the decision-making and the injury history of Wilson. So I'm definitely going to go the Jets there. Yeah, um, before I give my take, I think both teams will be selecting in the top five in the NFL draft. But the Jets are much more desperate than the Texans. I think the Texans are looking Mm -hmm. at the Davis Mills experience as the glass being half full rather yeah. than half empty. You know, in New York, they're desperate. I mean, Zach potentially might not play for a month. Um, the team overall has improved drastically in two years around them. And so I think they'll be looking at the draft as a way to be um, big fishers and get a game-changing QB1 franchise guy that can elevate them over the top. Because Buffalo has one, New England has one, Miami, after Tua has a good year, he's potentially going to show he has what it takes. The Jets need that. And I think they're going to be desperate and trying to make that happen in next year's draft. Um, as for the Texans, you know, Davis Mills, when he got drafted, a lot of scouts liked him. And I think they referred to his five-star rating coming out, coming out of high school. Um, sidebar, this is why I feel like stars do matter a lot more than what people think because scouts pay attention to that, even if right. you don't pan out at the next level. So, right. but Mills, I think as a pro, reminds me of Matt Shaw. And Matt Shaw was pretty good for the Texans for yeah, half Multiple a playoff runs for Houston, yeah. Right. Pro Bowl now, appearances, yep. Exactly. Now, granted, Schaub had Andre Johnson and Arian Foster. They were very phenomenal all-pro guys during that era. But I think what Houston is thinking is, look, Mills showed flashes against the Titans to end the year and the Chargers. Chargers were, I'm going to just say the Chargers are a playoff team. They didn't make they, it. They're a playoff they're basically team, a playoff yeah. team they're, last year. Yeah. Yeah, they're a playoff team last year. And the Titans 
was our number one seed in the AFC, and he not only held his own, he was going toe-to-toe with these guys. Beat, mm-hmm. beat Herbert and really gave the Texans a fighting chance in the season finale against the Titans. So he has shown enough to me where if he gets a competent supporting class around him, he's a top 15 quarterback in the league. And I think yeah. Houston's content with that. You know, they did have a generational talent to Sean Watson, who's no longer there, but they've also been playoff contenders with Brian Horry at quarterback and Matt Shaw. So I don't think they look at the Davis Mills experience as the end of the world. They have trust and belief in him. I wasn't a huge fan early on, but he made me a believer to end the year. So I do think the Jets are more likely to take the QB plunge than the Texans. Wouldn't it be funny if Davis Mills ends up being the top quarterback out of this rookie class? Now, I'm not saying that'll happen. I think I think Trevor Lawrence is going to get – I think he was just in such an insanely bad situation with Urban Meyer. So I do think it'll end up being Lawrence in the long run. But the fact that Fields struggled last year – uh, obviously, Mac Jones did great, but I think he's going to have a, a step back without Josh McDaniels there. Whatever Belichick's doing with the play calling is very strange. There's been some they're installing a brand new offense. What if Davis Mills? How funny would that be if he ends up being the quarterback years from now that we say, oh, you know, that draft class, Davis Mills in the third round ended up beating out all those first rounders? It would be hilarious yeah. and not shocking. I mean, we've seen things like this happen before. Dak Prescott in his draft Dak. class. Yep, fourth I'm, round. Fourth round, Carson Wentz and Jerry Goff went top two. He turned out to be better than them long term. I do think, though, I don't really think it's a hot take. I, I had to I had to sit on it all last year because he didn't play. I think Trey Lance might be the best quarterback in that class. I really do. We will see. Um, we will see. We will see. We will, yeah, we will I'm see. I'm very, very excited to see what Lance can do. I'll say that. Which leads me to my final who is likely to question. Who is likely to make it back to the conference title game between Kansas City and and the San Francisco 49ers? Uh, it, uh, it, it entirely depends on Trey Lance. I like the roster top to bottom better for San Francisco if Lance is good enough. He doesn't even have to be game changer. He doesn't have to be MVP caliber. He just has to be a little bit better and a little bit more with his mobility and especially with his, his arm than Jimmy G was. Because Jimmy G led them to a Super Bowl. Jimmy Garoppolo led Kyle Shanahan and team with they've got a top five defense uh the, there's some questions along the offensive line especially on the interior but you still have trent williams probably the best tackle in the entire nfl it doesn't necessarily matter who's playing running back with that scheme and then you've got debo samuel who was top three wide receiver last year and brandon Ayuk, who has the talent to be at least top 20 and george kittle a top three tight end so you've got talent all across the board and an exceptional coach in kyle shanahan is Trey Lance is just a top 15 quarterback. You mentioned Davis Mills. If Trey Lance is a top 15 quarterback, I could easily see San Francisco in the Super Bowl. Whereas I think the Chiefs are in the playoffs, but I had the Chargers winning the West. But I just think that have, without Tyreek Hill, even though they'll be good and they're not, it's not going to be a disaster, there's gonna, you, you just can't discount the number one most dangerous weapon in the NFL not being on your team anymore. He was the, he literally won the Super Bowl for them. It was him who got open, and yes, Mahomes made the throw in the play, but without Tyreek Hill getting open and getting deep and getting between the coverage, that fourth down never happens, and the 49ers end up beating the Chiefs. So between those two, if I had to make a prediction right now, it would be the Chiefs because I still don't know what we're getting in Lance. We've seen so little of him. Uh, we've actually reported in Legit Football a few days ago that he's like a 50% accuracy in camp now that doesn't always mean anything because shanahan probably has him purposely trying certain things and and taking shots but the point is we still don't know he took something like 80 something snaps last year we still don't know what we're getting 
So if I had to make a, if I'm a betting man now, who am I more interested? If 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 Lance gets to a top fifteen ta- uh, skill level, my money's on San Francisco. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna say both. I think both make it to the conference title game. Uh, let's start with the Niners first. We kind of touched base on it early on in the pod. The NFC is not as stacked as the AFC. Um, yeah. I think the Rams are the favorite. Um, Tampa Bay, I guess, can be considered second. And the Niners are third. And after that, you really don't know. You know what I'm saying? And so we Packers saw maybe if, if they can get around the Devontae Adams thing. But yeah. Right. Packers maybe. But my issue with Green Bay is they're in the same situation my hometown team, the Saints, were in last year. The receiving core is not that good. And so right. as great as Aaron Rodgers is, he's also getting up there in age. This isn't like prime Aaron Rodgers that's 30 years old that you can just throw a bunch of makeshift guys and he can make it work. Um, if, if anything, they've relied on their running game a lot more the last few years with Matt LaFour as their coach. But, you know, like you said, Niners last season had Jimmy Garoppolo in their pass rush. That took them to the NFC Championship game. Um, Trey Lance, I feel, is a better natural talent than Jimmy G. Struggle oh, yeah. more Clearly. athletic, more dynamic. That's going to yeah. open up the offense. Obviously, the biggest concern with Trey is going to be accuracy concerns. Um, the, the skinny with a lot of quarterbacks with rocket arms, those rocket arms at times tend to get away from them. Um, it's, um, mm-hmm. Sometimes sail passes, underthrow guys, um, believe in their arm too much that they're willing to throw it through multiple Decision defenders. Decision making, correct. Decision making in concern. their arms, yes. Yeah. Correct. So if he's able to reel that in and basically be what Colin Kaepernick was for the Niners when he took over Alex Smith that year and made the Super Bowl, they're going to be a pretty good team because the weapons are there, the running game is there, and they have a top two tight end in the league in George Kittle. With Kansas City, I think they're probably going to have a Golden State Warrior type year when the Warriors won without Durant. Um, coming into the year, you think, obviously, like Mahomes is a great talent, um, but it's like, can you do it without Tyreek? Because he won a Super Bowl without Tyreek. He went to multiple AFC Championship games with Tyreek. And, yeah, we had the sample size. I think it's six or seven games without Tyreek. He was phenomenal. Now we need to see it throughout the whole season. And what I saw in a glimpse against the Bears, he was doing something that Mahomes struggles to do at times. It makes him his own worst enemy, taking the checkdowns. And now we have these multitude of receivers that do a variety of different things. Yeah, you still got speed and Miko Harmon and Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Of course, they're not Tyreek Hill. But now Juju Smith-Schuster becomes a chain mover. Sky Moore becomes a do-it-all versatile threat out wide and in a slot. And you still have Travis Kelsey. I think not having Tyreek is going to make Mahomes a better quarterback. He's going to not depend on the vertical bomb as the big play weapon, which I think became a crutch for him. And he's going to become a more complete quarterback. And defensively for the Chiefs, their front line, it looks a little bit better than last year because of a guy in George Karloftis who flashed immensely. He had a great um, preseason game. Yeah, Great preseason game against the Bears. I think the Chiefs become a better team without Tyreek because it'll make Mahomes a better quarterback. So I have them both making the conference title game, um, but I probably have more faith in the Chiefs winning it all because Mahomes has been there and done that. And I right. think Trey Lance, as much as I like him as a prospect and believe that he'll potentially be, because, you know, when he got drafted, I said he had the best upside out of all of them. The best, the highest upside, the best upside. I think long term he's going to materialize into that, but I think as of this year, I think Mahomes trusting him to take it all the way is something I'll lean in towards. Yep, can't argue. Well, that is a wrap with the podcast episode fifty-five of Independent Intel. It was me and my guy Brian from Legit Football. But before I go, I'm gonna let Brian take the floor to talk about how he enjoy the pod, promote his Legit Football content, and even touch base on what he's looking for the rest of the preseason as we head into the new NFL season. Brian, take it away. 
Yeah, thanks again for having me, Kimberly. This was a blast. I will talk NFL any day, all day. This is obviously what I love to do. I have turned a career into it. Uh, anybody listening, feel free to go to legitfootball.com. Our newsletter is 100% free. Just enter your email address. You'll get the daily morning briefing. Get caught up on the NFL top six stories of the day, five minutes or less, Monday through Friday, all season long. We will have injury reports in there during the season. It's great for fantasy. It's great if you do sports betting. It's great if you just want to follow the league in general. LegitFootball.com. You can also check out our podcast. It's called 30 Minutes of Football with Legit Football. I'm the host of that. Um, maybe Kimberly will get you on there as a guest. Uh, it's a really fun concept. And um, I'm just ready for some actual football. You know, and We got preseason this weekend. I'll watch the games more for research, but I'm ready to sit down on Sundays and just put it in my veins, absorb everything that's going on. There's so many big faces on new teams. I want to see how that works out. I want to, there's so many through lines and, and drama and storylines that we've been following all off season that we're about to see all the speculations gone. We're going to see what actually happens. And that's my, why I'm really excited about all seasons, but this season in particular. Hey, Brian, I'm going to take you up on that offer to join your content. And um, look, he, Brian, man, Brian McFadden, he's been doing it for the past couple of years. He's one of the best in the business, even as a startup company. You guys check him out um, on LinkedIn and a variety of other outlets as well. Um, this year, man, Kimbui Bomani will be back next week as we close in on week zero of college football. May have some content about that down the line. Um, listen to this great episode. It was great content. Other than that, yours truly is out. Peace.